We have a system that we'll be developing today in Montana, and that system's going to track just south of the border, and it'll be pushing heavy snow through Alberta, Saskatchewan, and into Manitoba. Shannon Moody at Environment Canada. Good morning. Yesterday when we had him on, Bruce Johnson, my weather expert buddy, we were talking about 10 to 15 centimeters for Winnipeg and more in Westman. This morning they're saying 5 to 10 for the city. Bruce, come on in here. That's what Environment Canada is saying now, 5 to 10 centimeters of snow starting tonight. What are the models telling you? What are the latest models saying? Well, what I'm seeing is maybe, you know, the, I've got right now I've got 5 to 9 for tomorrow afternoon, but then tomorrow night another 4 to 7 maybe. Hmm. Um, so 10 to 15 for the total still seems pretty good. But then again, oh. there will be more to the southwest just like yesterday, it's, it's you know, that bullseye pretty much where Saskatchewan and and Manitoba meet. That's about where it's going to be, uh, you know, the most. Yeah, and even uh, Shannon earlier was saying it just sort of depends how this tracks. Uh, is it across the Rockies yet? How is it tracking? What do we know more now than yesterday? Yeah, it's just, you know, it's pretty much just on this side. And it's, um, I, it's come a little bit further north from what showed before so it looks like the five the five to ten will be the the evening snow but i think the total will be more like 10 to 15 unless it shifts again but right now it's tracking a little bit further north and you know that's what we're looking at but it can still wobble a little bit so you know some there's still some uncertainty but pretty much you know there's going to be snow it's exactly how much is hard to say but i'm thinking the 10 to 15 total is still valid unless there's a big change that i don't see yet Mm -hmm. yeah and a special weather statement for winnipeg although environment canada uh, shannon moody specifically said that could flip to a snowfall warning because we are seeing snowfall warnings in other parts of the province we'll just wait and see on that what about areas like brandon yesterday you mentioned melita because they're at a higher elevation and so they'll likely get more snow what are you seeing for totals for them uh, I would say Brandon in the 20 to 25 range, uh, Melita probably at least that. Maybe some areas, especially west there, may hit 30 because uh, there's an east wind. And an east wind, you know, you've got upslope. It's get higher in elevation. Well, that wind is going to hit it and you get orographic lift. So it's like, it's like the mountains in the west except much less extreme because so, you heard about the tremendous amounts of snow in the California mountains. Well, that was the moisture coming up and just getting squeezed out over the mountains. Well, this is similar. It's just not as obviously not as dramatic, but it does enhance the precipitation, whatever kind of precipitation it is, in this case snow. It will enhance it with that east wind hitting the higher elevations. So there will be more snow out there. Mm-hmm. I was reading this morning. I'm just trying to quickly uh, find it here. I don't think I'll be able to find the story. Oh, here it is here. Um, climate scientists say, and you've been saying this for a while now with me, but climate scientists say the weather phenomenon which worsens hurricanes and drought is gone. Listen to this report, and, and then we'll just talk about it quickly. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and other climate scientists say La Nina has ended after three nasty years of increasing Atlantic hurricane activity and worsening western drought. 
La Nina is a natural and temporary cooling of parts of the Pacific Ocean that changes weather worldwide. According to NOAA, over the last three years, the U.S. has been hit by 14 hurricanes and tropical storms that caused a billion dollars or more in damage. Experts say if the globe jumps instead to El Nino, it means more rain for the Midwestern Corn Belt and grains in general and could be beneficial in other parts of the world, including drought-stricken Northeast Africa. I'm Norman Hall. So La Nina is done. It's official. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's just, last month it was minus 0.56, which was just about neutral. Now it's gone to completely where it's in neutral territory, and then it's going to shift to El Nino, which for us next winter and maybe the winter after means less snow, less cold. So a winter like this probably won't happen next year. It'll probably be more mild and more of what they call open, where you don't get as much snow. We'll see, but that's what usually happens with El Nino. Yeah. Bruce, thanks for getting us going here this morning. I appreciate it. Sure. Talk to you later. My weather expert buddy, Bruce Johnson. So he still is sticking by 10 to 15 uh, centimeters of snow in Winnipeg total uh, starting tomorrow night. We'll see what happens. So far, a weather statement in effect for Winnipeg that could flip to a snowfall warning. We're seeing warnings in other parts of the province like Westman where more snow is expected. I think Bruce said 25, 20 to 25 centimeters possibly in and around Brandon. So we will see. Well, and stick around, Jeff, on, because uh, you, of course, uh, are the news anchor here on Connecting Winnipeg. I would like you now, though, to join me. I don't know if you have to change clothes for this. I guess a different <laughs> hat for sure. Uh, I would like you to join us now as one of the couch potatoes to yes. talk about the Oscars. I know you will be watching for yep. sure uh, because you are uh, one of the couch potatoes. Have you seen all of the Best Picture nominees? I did. On Wednesday night, I watched Triangle of Sadness, and that was the 10th and the final nominee that I had to get through to see them all. Okay, so if you were a member of the Academy, Jeff, yep. and you were voting for Best Picture... Who would get your vote? For Best Picture, I th I, my vote would go to the movie Tar, starring Kate Blanchett. It's, uh, I don't think it's going to win. It's not, it's not like a, a crowd pleaser like Top Gun Ma Maverick or even Elvis or Avatar or those sort of things. It's a, a little bleaker than that, but it's a really good, uh, well-made film. Mm -hmm. um, we just watched uh, The Fablemans. It was very good. Yep. Oh, um, Spielberg, you can't bet against him. Well, I, I sort right. of think he might win uh, Best Director, even if The Fablemans doesn't win Best Picture. Hmm. I think even more interesting at these Oscars than who what films will win is what individuals will win. And you talk about Spielberg as Best Director. What about Michelle Yeoh as Best Actress? I think she should win for her role in, what's it called, Anything, Anywhere, Always? Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Yeah, it's yeah. The, the biggest mouthful of the titles for sure. No, I got <laughs> yes. no problem with her winning either. I think it would be fun to, because it would be her first Oscar, and mm -hmm. she's always been a terrific actress whenever you see her in a movie. Um, I, I really like Kate Blanchett and Tar, though, but she's also won two Oscars, so yeah. uh, Michelle Yeoh winning her first is definitely going would be more exciting than seeing Kate Blanchett win a third one. Yeah, I kind of think the movie, and you just said the title beautifully, so I'm not going to 
mess it up and slaughter it again. Uh, I kind of think that's going to be the big winner at the Oscars, that film, I think. Yeah, it's definitely the front runner. And uh, if you're laying money down on a best picture, uh, that would be the one to pick, I think. Although uh, there's a few others I wouldn't be surprised if they won. But um, mm-hmm. in- including Top Gun Maverick, uh, people sort of look at that and it's like, why would that be winning best picture? But I don't think it's that far out of the, the yeah. realm of possibility for it to win. It's this preferential ballot they do where, you know, you just order, you line up, the 10 in the order you would prefer to win and then they sort of do it like that it's just not uh whoever gets the most first round for mm-hmm. votes for number one win so it, yeah it, it can go anyway well and spielberg said uh to tom cruise you saved hollywood with top gun maverick right because it kind of got people back in theaters again yeah, it did, and that narrative's been very strong, and so it'll be interesting to see exactly how the Academy rewards it, because, you know, giving it a best picture might just be a nice big stamp on the saying this yeah. movie actually did save uh, at least the theatrical experience of going to the movie, so I wouldn't have a problem with that either, because it was such a good movie, so much fun, so yeah, uh, yeah there's there's a lot of really worthy movies this year. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Um Here's the dilemma in my house, and I have a feeling it's the same dilemma in many other households. Do you watch the Oscars, or do you watch The Last of Us? Oh, I don't watch The Last of Us, so for me it's not a problem. I would I would say in this, it's uh, it's like sports. you got to watch the Oscars because it's in real life, time. Yeah. yeah, and especially if you you know go on the internet at all, because the... Spoilers abound on a right. live broadcast like that. But it is, it's the finale of The Last of Us, isn't it? Um, or is the second last You might one? be right. I'm not sure. Yeah, or it's getting very close. If you're not wa- and you're not watching it, but boy, The Last of Us on, here in Canada, we see it on Crave. It's an HBO Max or HBO uh, show. It's a zombie uh, series, and you might sort of think to yourself, "Ugh, you know," because I was one of the people that was so disappointed in how The Walking Dead kind of petered out at the end. But this show is fantastic. The Last of Us, if you get a chance to watch it. But yeah, I'll probably do what you suggest. I'm hoping that I can watch uh michelle yo win the oscar live and then right after i'm done with the oscars i'll watch uh, the last of us on on crave here's what else i'm looking forward to at the oscars jeff yeah i am looking forward to jimmy kimmel as host same i like kimmel he's a former radio guy he's very funny he was a part of the oscars where they messed up the best picture uh card remember oh yeah oh yeah yeah and so now I'm interested to see what he says on Sunday night about the slap heard round the world, right? Yep. And and Jimmy was actually asked if we have learned any lessons from last year's Oscars. Listen. No, not really. I think that was um I don't see that ever happening again. I think maybe the if there is any lesson, it's don't make fun of Jada Pinkett Smith. I think people will be uh more alert. <laughs> Yes, I think we'll all be alert. They even have like a SWAT team or something ready in case something oh goes God. down, right? Is there the any, are any of these nominees or anyone in attendance a, a known hothead? Is Russell Crowe going to be there or anything like that? That's Where a good have point. have to worry about something yeah. going down. I don't think, right. yeah. I agree with him. I don't think it'll be a problem. And I agree with you that he's a fantastic host for this kind of thing because he's really good. He's one of those comedians where he can... He can get, you know, you Chris Rock, I guess, can't get away with it. But I think Jimmy Kimmel can get away with uh, poking yep. fun at people to their face, but not having them get mad about it. Like having them be in on the joke more than having yeah. the joke be just at them. Yeah, because he's, he's a likable kind of guy. He yeah. did admit, one more clip here and then I'll let you go. He did admit, though, that he likes it when crazy stuff like that happens at a live broadcast, in this case, the Oscars. 
I'm not rooting for getting slapped, but it is fun when something weird happens. You know what kind of stuff I like? Streaking. I like when naked people run on the stage. I would like to see more of that. You might be too young for that. Do you remember the streaker on stage at the Oscars? I think that was back in the 70s. Yeah, that was in the 70s. I don't. Re- I never saw that, but I've seen you know clips of it or whatever yeah. and heard about it, that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah. I agree with him, too, because uh, before the slap last year, I, I people say, what was your favorite Oscar moment? And I would say, when they screwed up the envelopes, the <laughs> yeah. Moonlight La La Land thing, because that was wild, because you just never yeah. seen that before. I don't think they could have anybody host and do a better i'm just i'll tell you right now i think he's going to do a great job but i think he will do a great job at the oscars a year after that slap and i think he's the guy to have some fun with it and I, i'm really looking forward to his performance absolutely it, uh, it should be fun as uh, if you like award show uh, can't beat the oscars thank you jeff and i know you'll be watching and uh, maybe we'll chat again on monday about the oscars thank you pal you bet sounds good right now because it is Friday and right after the news at 11.30. It's time for our visit with Dr. Cyrus Dirksen, drcyrus.com, D-R-S-Y-R-A-S.com. Cyrus, good morning. Good morning, Hal. How are you doing today? I am excellent. Um, It's sort of funny. We've got snow in the forecast. And uh, right after the show, yeah, right after the show, uh, because I write my uh, food column in the Winnipeg Sun on Sundays, Hal's Kitchen, uh, Starbucks has a new spring menu with a couple of drinks. They're sending over some iced strawberry oat maca tea uh, latte. Ooh. Yes, and a cinnamon caramel cream cold brew, which I'm looking forward to, but I might have to dig through a snowdrift to get it. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> I'm just looking but, out my window here, and I can see some flakes coming down, so you're right on target. Yeah, tomorrow. Tomorrow is, is when we'll get snow and blowing snow, oh, okay. and then it'll continue into Sunday. But anyhow, listen, I, I digress. Let's get to uh, the subject matter here for you today. First headline for Cyrus, three reasons your adult child treats you like dirt. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> uh, that's a good one, yeah. Um, well, I mean, the first thing it says, was, which was you know obviously true, is that as parents, uh, you're dealing with a moving target, and that's probably the theme of the article here, and, and I would agree with it. Uh, you're dealing with a moving target, and so, uh, you know, the timelines that people have, the uh, the desire to get into routines and know people's roles, all of those things, the kind of the, the tendencies of our brain to kind of want things to be the same and to kind of make them habitual just doesn't work with kids. Uh, so generally speaking, um, you know, parents wait too long, you know, for to see what will happen. Like, oh, we need to try this. We need to try this to fix this problem or whatever. And we'll give it a year. You know, they end up giving it too long. And children are always changing. And so that's really where these problems come into play for parents as their kids get older is they're too far ahead and they're expecting too much from their children or they're too far behind. And they're not um, kind of catching up with the fact that their parent, that their children are in, getting to be more independent. They need to be treating them more like adults, and uh, and also kind of just uh, having children kind of dealing with stuff from the past and being open to criticism, open to kind of dealing with childhood traumas that may be a result of your own behavior. And parents often have a lot of trouble hearing that from their kids, and that can all culminate in frustrated kids, uh, kids feeling too criticized or too you know, uh, held, held back by their parents and being frustrated that they can't actually talk to their parents about what's wrong and what they'd like to see. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and listen, I, I, we, I love my mom, uh, and I'm sad that she's gone, 
But I think, too, and especially because she was in Alberta and I was here in Winnipeg, and so we didn't see each other all the time, but I, I think a lot of people maybe deal with what I dealt with with my mom. In her mind, I was still that 13- mm-hmm. or 14-year-old kid, right? I, mm-hmm. I wasn't a man in his 50s who obviously has changed over all those years, and in her mind, I was still still that kid, and, and I would hear about things from all those decades ago and have to deal with that. <laughs> it's so true. I mean, it's one thing to reminisce about, you know, fond memories. It's another thing to not be able to move a child forward in your mind into kind of the actual maturity that they're in. And oftentimes these things happen faster than parents would like. So, you know, for example, parents will often cite teenage years, like when a child is actually 13, as being a time when they're moving into adolescence, when if that's the case, they've already missed a fair bit of adolescence because the desire to become independent starts usually around, you know, age nine or or somewhere around there, and it's different for every child. And so parents are often behind, uh, you know, in being able to respect their children as being more independent, as wanting secrecy, as wanting to be able to be doing things on their own. And uh, so that that's a huge mistake that that, uh, that parents can make. And it often results in a lot of anger and frustration from children. And, and uh, to a degree, some of the rebellion that we see, it's them trying mm-hmm. to express the independence that they're, that they're ready for. Yeah. Yeah, but listen, parenting is tough. You know, you and I have talked mm-hmm. about this many times over the years, Cyrus, and boy, it's, mm-hmm. uh, and, and especially, you know, to be a parent now in 2023 and then, you know, to be a kid now in 2023, mm-hmm. it's just so much different than it used to be. So many other challenges and, and uh, things that can get in the way of a of a healthy relationship. Next headline here is AI, and I'm going to talk real soon. I'm, I'm lining up some guests on artificial intelligence. Uh, we're going to do uh, more on this one day real soon here on Connecting Winnipeg. But this headline is, is AI coming for white-collar jobs? A psychology professor finds out the hard way. What's this one about? Well, I mean, if people are paying attention to what's coming out in tech, then, uh, then people should be or, or maybe becoming more aware of the fact that artificial intelligence is starting to have an impact. It's not just a party trick, you know, of a, you know, a toy robot that looks a little awkward or something like that. This is something that's very real. And, uh, and I think, you know, for me, when I'm talking, when I used to talk to people about AI, the reaction that I would get, uh, or, or new tech was kind of fascination. Unfortunately, now there's kind of this curve of as people realize or they see it and they're like, Oh, that's cool. And then they go, oh, that's fascinating. And then all of a sudden, at some moment, I see it in their eyes as they, <laughs> they shift. Yeah. And, uh, all of a sudden, they go to uh, a kind of almost horror as they're like, and then I see them walk away. And one person, I actually heard them under their breath say, it's going to take my job. And so it's a very sobering thing that's kind of, you know, because we're used to talking about tech in a kind of a fascinated, excited way. And I think some of us, you know, who are who talk to the public or whatever, almost sometimes need to be aware that there's a shift that's coming where, uh, you know, it's exciting, for example, in the Industrial Revolution to have that, you know, that, uh, and that's what this is talking about, the AI revolution. You know, in the Industrial Revolution, it was exciting to see new tech, but it was also horror for people mm. as they had to migrate away from their farms and kind of find new jobs and, and all that kind of stuff. So that's where we're at. We're actually seeing it, and I've actually seen it in my own life. I've had a friend who kind of lost their job and and it's actually starting to happen. And this, unfortunately, this article was talking about me losing my job and uh, kind of how, which is very real, uh, which is where is AI going to be taking over, you know, kind of the white, this was calling it white collar, um, you know, the, the, the types of jobs where people are primarily using their minds 
to, you know, as work, you know, to, to produce, to synthesize information or, you know, using relationship, like in my position where you're using relationship in order to provide a service like therapy. And, um, you know, sometimes people are uh, kind of, I think, underestimating, even still in this article, I think was underestimating the power that AI has. And uh, because one is amazing what it's doing already to synthesize information. And this article was talking about how they were, this psychologist was creating a measure, like a, a personality measure, spent, you know, months and weeks working on it, and then asked AI to do it. And it came out, spit out something equivalent to the best uh, personality measure out there in a matter mm-hmm. of seconds. And, um, and how kind of awe-inspiring, aggravating, you know, what that was. And I think uh, the other side that people I don't think realize is not only is it going to be good at synthesizing information, but people um, relate. People think that relationship is kind of exclusive for other human beings, but it's not. So this could also replace relationship jobs like therapy because people connect to tech uh, in a similar way than they do to people. So, for example, I mean, if I just said, oh, you know, did you connect with your teddy bear? People would be like, yeah, I had a, and people have a huge relationship with their um you know, with their lovies when they're young or relationships with their cars, uh, people can have relationships with AI. And uh, there's actually research where people have romantic relationships with completely inanimate objects, never mind now if it actually uh, has an intelligence to it. So this can replace, I believe, uh, therapy. I don't think it will, you know, entirely. I think these things take time, uh, but I think that's where we're going. Yeah, boy, it's going to be interesting to watch exactly what happens with AI, uh, you know, even over the next six months or a year, but mm-hmm. certainly over many years and, and over decades. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think we're far off from it playing a major role in our lives for sure. And final headline for Cyrus here, firefighter psychology in dealing with crisis. This one interests me. What's it about? Well, I mean, people who are dealing with, uh, who are dealing with first-line responding uh, have this kind of inherently stressful, traumatic job. And, I mean, people are very good, generally speaking. I mean, we talk a lot about PTSD in times when people have trouble dealing with trauma, but generally speaking, people are very good with dealing with trauma. Our human brain works with it quite well. But if you are in a position designed to, uh, you know, go and confront trauma, then it can have an impact, like, uh, and it's it's uh, a big deal. So uh, the first one here, which was interesting, is, that the amount of people, number of people dying from, uh, you know, frontline duties as firefighters is less than the number of people dying uh, from suicide in those positions. And so if you were to say what's more dangerous, the fire or the effect of actually experiencing, uh, you know, repeated uh, fires or other kinds of traumatic incidents in a position, it would probably be just what witnessing it would be more dangerous for people than actually going and being uh, confronting the danger in that situation just because of the suicide risk. And it was talking about how, you know, uh, 30% of people who are in these positions develop, you know, symptoms, you know, traumatized symptoms or PTSD compared to 20% in the general public. How um, how people in these experience, like for me, when I see this, one of the hardest things that people have isn't so much that they're going to go out and experience these traumas. It's the fact that they're going to go out, they're going to experience something that's life-threatening and they're going to make a mistake. And that's what really is hard on people is when they see something tragic happen uh, and it's, partially a result of them missing something, them not reacting fast enough, them thinking that something and it's actually something else. And unfortunately, because they're human, they make these mistakes, which is totally understandable, and they have to live with that then afterwards. And there's a lot of shame and guilt. And it, and it often then relates to how much social support they have in their lives. 
So this is a very difficult position. There's a lot of shame around it. Not when they were doing research, this was what the article was talking about. They they didn't see a lot of them using a lot of mental health language, using a lot of mental health resources, or using a lot of social support in these positions, especially around COVID when nobody can reach out to each other. And uh, so, yeah, so it's it's a sobering thing to realize what it means to go out and be a firefighter or be a first responder. And, uh, you know, we have to kind of pay our respects to people in those positions because uh, it takes a toll. Absolutely. Cyrus, have a great weekend. Thank you. You too, Hal. Thanks a lot.